Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. In English, we call it the Feast of the Sacrifice, but for the Muslims who celebrate it, it's Eid al-Adha. And for many Muslims, it involves Hajj, the act of making a pilgrimage to Mecca. This year, the holiday fell on August 10th and 11th. Here to discuss the act of pilgrimage is Faison Syed, Executive Director of CARE Missouri. That's the state chapter of the Council on American-Islamic Relations. Faison, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So tell us, what's the connection between this holiday and the idea of pilgrimage? Hajj is the largest annual gathering of people on this earth. It is an opportunity for Muslims all across the world who speak every language and represent every ethnicity and background to give up their normal lives and to make their way to the city of Mecca, um, give up their clothing. Men, they basically stop wearing the clothing that they usually wear for two white garments. And when they get there to engage in rituals in order to really seek in our tradition, God forgiveness and God pleasure. The historical aspect of Hajj is that everything that people do on Hajj comes from the life of Abraham, may peace be upon him. In the sense that when people go to Hajj, the reason that a city of Mecca even exists is we believe that Abraham left his wife Hajar and their son Ishmael in the valley of Mecca many thousand years ago. And after he left them there, that's when um, Hajar, trying to find water for her baby, ran between two mountains called Safa and Marwa, which today millions of people do even to this day. And that's when they built the Kaaba, which is the area in the direction that Muslims all around the world pray towards. It is one of the most uh, amazing pillars in our faith because in the Hajj, Muslims get to experience what it means to really live um, almost in God's kingdom in the sense that when you get to Hajj, everybody is doing the same thing. They're all dressed in a very similar manner, and they're all there really to get closer to God Almighty. And when you say everybody, how many people are we talking about in a given year? So in a given year now, the Hajji numbers are about 3 million people will actually go there. So imagine the entire population of St. Louis and maybe even some, they're going uh, during the Hajj season in order to pray, in order to do the rituals of Hajj, and in order to be in the city of Mecca. And the Hajj season, is that that's not just this one weekend that is the, the holiest day. Right. So the Hajj season happens on the last month of the Islamic calendar, appropriately named Dhul Hijjah, right? And it is uh, in that month during the 8th and the 12th days is when the Hajj season itself begins. Of course, Muslims can go to the city of Mecca and do a lesser ritual, which is called Umrah, which is that you go and you do these rituals. But the actual Hajj season that ends with this holiday um, that celebrates the life of Abraham, his sacrifice of being willing to sacrifice his son uh, Ishmael, that happens on those days. And that's when the season of Hajj begins. And so that's going to have all 3 million people there in this one place. Yeah, if you can imagine, I want all of your listeners to kind of stop what they're doing and look around you. Every single person you see, whether they're on the highway, whether they're in the office, whether you're in school, imagine all of them participating in a ritual. And they're all from all around the world. And when it's time for the prayers that Muslims we pray five times throughout the day, imagine everybody, every stranger that's out on the street, they stop and form these concentric circles around the Kaaba. It's one of those sites that I can imagine uh, being and living and being a part of. And it's something that's really um, very unique to our faith tradition. And Faison, you yourself have not been able to do this yet, I understand. 
not yet. So the Hajj is also very expensive, which these two uh, folks will tell you in a little bit. And Hajj is required upon every Muslim who can, of course, financially and physically afford to do it. I'm still broke, so I haven't been able to uh, go yet. <laughs> so you're but, exempt uh, at this point. Exempt until, uh, until you know, uh, I start working with Karen get another job. Who knows? <laughs> and on that note, we are joined by two people who recently did their Hajj. Uh, their names are Shahab Mushtaq and Faiza Mushtaq. They're both St. Louis residents and both completed their pilgrimage this year. Shahab and Faiza, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So what made you decide to go this year? Uh, it was just the confluence of events uh, that uh, we were able to finally afford it. And I guess in a sense, uh, uh, God works in his own way because we were thinking about it for the longest time and we're like, okay, how are we going to afford this? Because it costs several thousand dollars per person. And is and, that in terms of all the expenses together? Yeah, or, okay. so actually, so from uh, the way it works, if you are going from North America, the government of Saudi Arabia requires you to go through a registered travel agency. And uh, so if you, the cost is that, you know, we were going for a period of two weeks. And so this, uh, uh, you have to buy a all-inclusive package from through travel. So this covers everything while you're there, you know, your hotel stay, your meals, your airfare, uh, on-the-ground transportation. So why did we do this year? So in a, I used to work at uh, Scott Trade. And when Scott Trade got bought out by TD Emerge, in one sense, you know, I lost my job because of, you know, you know, as the buyout. But in another sense, it opened up, you know, one door closed and another one opened because with the severance package, that was the what allowed us to be able to afford this. and uh, So that severance package opened the door. <laughs> yes, to, yeah, exactly. It opened obligation. the door. <laughs> and in another sense, you know, our kids were old enough sort of that, you know, we could uh, leave them and uh, with relatives and go. For a two-week journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This provision that people coming from North America have to go through a registered travel agency, um, Faison, what, what are they thinking with that? They don't want us just running around Saudi Arabia, lost, clueless, can't speak the language. <laughs> It's for a lot of reasons, and again, the Saudi government knows best, but especially North America, Europe, and these other countries, they do require you to go through a travel agency, and then also it's to make the journey for them easier. The thing is, once you get there, it's everything is kind of laid out for you. There's a whole package for it, um, and it's not like you're you know, in the wilderness trying to figure things out. So and, um, it's for your own well-being because, you know, as Faison mentioned, there's like about two to three million people there. And if you can imagine that, you know, there's not, there's limited hotel capacity and things. So they want to make sure that when you get there, you have a place to stay and you know how you're going to get from one place to another place. So it's for your own benefit that, you know. I mean, that makes sense. It sounds like an overwhelming situation right. if you, you know, didn't y- have a guy. You are going there for a religious uh, duty or pilgrimage and... They want to make sure that, you know, when you get there, you're not dealing with a problem of, I don't have a hotel room, I don't have a place to stay, Mm -hmm. things like that. Now, I know Saudi Arabia uses a lottery system, and around the world it can be very difficult to get in. Mushtaq, I understand that's not the case for Americans. So uh, the lottery system applies more to the Muslim-majority countries with a much larger Muslim population population. 
for example, Indonesia or Pakistan or Egypt, you know, where they have millions of people who are eligible to go, but they, you know, the government of Saudi Arabia allots a quota to each country. So with North America, U.S., Canada, Western Europe, we're pretty fortunate that the quota allotted, you know, is large enough that anybody who wants to go, we don't use up our entire quota. So whoever wants to go and has the financial means can pretty much go. So Faiza, tell us about this flight over, um, I imagine it was a series of flights from St. Louis to yes, Mecca. definitely. We had to drive to Chicago <laughs> and then take a flight there from to Abu Dhabi for Etihad Airways. And then we had a layover and then another two, two three-hour flight to Mecca. So we went to Mecca first, yeah. So that's a long journey. And yet in the final legs of it, you must have had all these travelers going to the same place for the same purpose. Did this yes. just feel like the world's most exciting class trip, maybe? <laughs> it, it was nerve-wracking. It was, we were so nervous. I don't know what's going to happen. But once you get there, it's so peaceful and just calms you down. You're here. So. And what yeah. were you so nervous about? Um, I mean, like ch- traveling basically and going to each and every, s- doing all these steps correctly because it's going to be our first and probably our last time. <laughs> I hope not, but uh, we'll see. So, you know, we're excited for that. Yeah. Shahab, were you nervous too? Yes. I mean, uh, it was, you have the anticipation that, you know, you're going there for God's pleasure. And at the same time, you want to do your best in fulfilling all of the duties. And uh, for an Islam, you know, that we have the concept that you do, you try to do whatever you can to the best of your ability. And then it's God uh, accepts your worship. Mm -hmm. So that was the whole point that, you know, we do what we can without overstepping on anybody else's rights and that we hope that God accepts our worship. I have my mother also traveling with me. She is uh, old and she was on wheelchair. So that oh, was an that other, adds a complication. Yes, that was even it was just, just going to Chicago with someone in a wheelchair. Definitely. It was just us. Then we could have just walk around for miles and we'd be OK. But we were we have her on a wheelchair. That was another. And then, in, you know, in this international city with three million people suddenly flocking to it, did, was it wheelchair accessible for what you were trying to do? That was another um, deal. E- even though they try the hardest to keep the wheelchair, but we were so privileged living in America, like everything is uh, wheelchair accessible. And over there, and we forget. <laughs> and then I was like, why? Like so, but then, Some complications. Yes, definitely. Like. <laughs> like I had to go through certain things and writing her like it's not easy definitely yeah uh, one of you mentioned something about how there's even different clothes for this of course I have to go to my fellow woman on this question Faiza what do people yeah. wear on their hot <laughs> I'm not gonna tell what the men wear but I'm, I can definitely mention um, women wear uh, just a head covering and has to cover the whole um, you have to wear a loose-fitting clothes. It's hot, so you have to wear something loose as well, not too tight, or mm-hmm. it's more cotton. So I, I was okay. I don't have any problem with. I mean, for men, Shahab, so, what? So the uh, for men, the, there's requirement that when uh, you're going, it's called ihram, and basically the requirement is that you're wearing uh, 
two pieces of cloth that are, uh, people say unstitched, but what means they're not fitted. So you can't wear like pants or shirts. So it's basically like almost like two towels. You can large towels, one you wrap around your waist and one for your chest. And the point of that is that everybody, regardless this is on the of air who on you Saint are, Public Radio, how rich 90. you are, KWNU. everybody's equal in the eyes of God. So you that, can't get too fancy with those restrictions. No, you know, everybody just wear all males are wearing the same two pieces of white cloth. You know, you're not allowed to use perfume, and there's, uh, you know, uh, some restrictions on what type of... You can't wear any headwear, no hats, or anything like that. So the point is that, you know, everybody is there for the purpose of worshiping God, and everybody is equal. That it doesn't matter whether you're a king or a multimillionaire or you're a lowly peasant or a farmer or whatever. You know, in the eyes of God, you're all equal. And during this time, you are there solely to focus on your worship. So you're not to be distracted by the material um, material concerns, you know, like, oh, what am I wearing? And uh, are my clothes good enough or things like that? We're talking to Shahab Mushtaq, along with his wife, Faiza. They went to Saudi Arabia for their Hajj, which is a pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. We're also here with Faizan Syed, who's the executive director of CARE Missouri. Faizan, to go away from sort of the quotidian details to the bigger picture here, what are the main rituals that get performed during this pilgrimage? So when you first go to Mecca, there's a few rituals that basically everybody follows. The main rituals are, first of all, the clothing, as described, putting on the ihram. Then when you go to the Kaaba and you see the building, there's also a, a ritual where you basically circumnavigate. You walk around the Kaaba seven times. Uh, as people do that, many people will try to touch the Kaaba with their hands, though it's not part of our religion or required, but many people want to do that. And at the corner of the Kaaba on the east side, there's this black stone that's basically in a silver ring that's there, which in our faith tradition, uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, kiss that stone, and many people also today to try to kiss that stone and be in that stone as well. Beyond that, there's also a ritual where Muslims will run between these two mountains called Safa and Marwa. Believe it or not, 1,400 years ago, those mountains were three times the size that they are today. But because so many people walk there and the dirt that gets on their shoes, oh. they've now decreased in size. So now the Saudi government doesn't let people go on those mountains really anymore. So there's a And pa- are they actual mountains or more like hills? They used to be mountains. Okay, now they're hills. <laughs> yeah. So what happens is that just as Hajar, when her when she was left in the desert with her, uh, her baby, she ran in between these two mountains, keeping an eye on Ishmael to try to find help and find somebody to help her. So to today, millions of people make that same journey as well. When Abraham came to sacrifice his son during uh, what we celebrate now as Eid al-Adha, we believe that the devil, the shaitan, he also came and tried to tempt him away from doing that, saying, this is kind of crazy, what are you doing? So then Abraham and his son basically took out rocks and they pelted the devil. Hmm. And today you have these three areas that are really giant, almost like imagine three highways on top of each other with these giant pillars in between, where millions of people also throw the rocks in order to relive that ritual. The final day of Hajj, and I'll let them just say, say in the end, but um, the last ritual is, the last day is you go to this mountain called Mountain of Arafat, which is where the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, gave the final sermon. And that is considered the most holy day in our tradition, where people, they make prayer. And this year it rained. 
on that day, which is, is something that's very... Is that a good very, thing or a bad thing? In, well, it's 108 degrees outside, so... <laughs> so it's an excellent pleasant. thing, yes. Oh, okay. It's not uh, just that the rain cooled things down. It was just uh, blessings from God. Like, for me, it was the highlight of uh, my trip. It was... I was just standing for praying, and I love rain. It just... Uh, and then I was feeling like, this is for me. He just, like, he wanted me to just have this rain and just have this blessing on me and has to, this pouring rain. It was so beautiful. I can't even explain. Was this a torrential rain or more of a light rain? It was torrential. <laughs> it was like... God doused you. Like, yes, <laughs> but like... It was it was for one or two hours, and then it it rained almost every day. I have pictures of uh, um, the rainbow, and like it was so beautiful. That the sounds like a wonderful moment. Yeah. <laughs> Shahab, when uh, when Faison was talking about pelting the devil, what was that like to do that ritual? So that again, it's uh, you know people. It's very symbolic that you know you're trying. Uh, you have to keep your mind that okay, why are we doing this? And you're doing it because. You know, you're reenacting what Prophet Abraham did, and it's a symbolic that, okay, that you are trying to negate all the temptations in your life, that anything that turns you away from God. And, uh, you know, some people get pretty emotional, you know, at this point that, you know, you're only supposed to take small pebbles, like the size of like a chickpea and, you know, uh, throw it against this wall as a symbolic, uh, you know, of negating, negating the temptations of the devil or whatever. But people, you know, they get really wrapped up in this, and they'll take like bigger rocks. A lot of people just like take off their shoes and or their slippers, and they're like, take that, you know. <laughs> but you know, like what you were asking about, you know, what. So one of the challenging things about Hajj is that you have this large number of people. You have like two or three. And uh, the actual part of Hajj, you have to go to like three different locations outside of Makkah. And they're called, uh, you know, Mina, Arafat, and Muzdalifah. They're outside of, uh, they're like plains outside of Makkah. And so you, all of these people, imagine like two to three million people, they all have to go to these locations within a certain fixed period of time. So Are these the, locations you can walk to or you need to take a shuttle? So a lot of people, uh, people before modern transport, they did walk. And today, to certain people walk. A lot of people take buses. And uh, the Saudi government in the past few years, they've actually built a light rail system mm. uh, that goes between all three of these areas. So that helps alleviate the traffic. But um, majority of people take buses. And, uh, you know, it gets very crowded. And We as, took the train. Okay. Yeah. So. And so you've got so many people in this relatively small space, and they're trying to get here and get there. And yet um, you've got people who speak many, many different languages. Was there a language barrier as you're trying to communicate with your fellow pilgrims? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, ma the majority of, like, the... Uh, employees of the Saudi government, the security guards and the people uh, showing you the way, they just speak Arabic. And then you have fellow pilgrims from all over the world. Uh, and so sometimes it was a challenge. They I mean, have a lot of signs now with different languages if they want certain things to be said. But if, like, you have to get up from one place and they have to, like, say, get up from here, they just 
show you how to do it. That's all. <laughs> so you're kind yeah. of able to follow their yeah, lead more than all. have to talk. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. For the most part, is everybody involved in this getting along and, and nice to each other? It's got to be oh, hard with so yes, many people. Yes, definitely. You just go there and you've been fed from like all these people who are just standing there. Just he, They want to give you dates. They want to mm-hmm. feed you water. They want to give you coffee. They want to give. So you're just sitting and praying and there are people walking around with all these there's so much food. They want to just feed everybody. And these are people who good. live in that country just no, taking just care of the No, just coming pilgrims? from all over the place. People and feeding each other. Yeah. So it's, it's so, both. It's, I mean, you have the pilgrims helping each other out. And then uh, the people who live in Saudi Arabia uh, who were able to make it, they have this amazing sense of hospitality yeah. and uh, generosity that, you know, they want to... Uh, they want to help out the pilgrims and they want to do their part to welcome them and make it easy for them. Faison, for people who are celebrating Eid al-Hadda back at home, are any of these rituals things that people do back in Missouri or these are pretty much limited to Mecca? Well, that's a really great question. So the one ritual that Muslims all around the world can participate in is the sacrifice that happens on the very last day. So on the last day of Hajj, basically many of the men might shave their heads totally or they might cut off a piece of their hair and then they do a sacrifice where they'll actually get an animal like a goat, cow, camel, and then they'll sacrifice that and then they distribute the meat to the poor and the needy in that area. And and what's the religious meaning behind that sacrifice? It really goes back to Abraham. So when Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Ishmael, we believe that the angel came and basically replaced his son with a ram at that time. So the way to engage in that same act of sacrifice, Muslims all across the world, they also do that same ritual. So in St. Louis, for example, it's called Qurban or Udhiyah. And uh, even in St. Louis, we actually did the same thing. So a lot of people after the Eid prayer, which is the early morning prayer, they'll go to a farm or they'll go and actually like, you know, actually engage in the sacrifice as well. And then they distribute the meat all over. Shahab, for you, it looks like you did shave your head during this trip. Yes, I did. Is that sort of your biggest takeaway from that is I'm back here. I, I'm carrying this with me that I now have this shaved head. Or what did you bring home with you? Uh, no, the biggest takeaway is um, so when you perform Hajj, uh, if once you complete it, uh, the reward for Hajj, God has promised that the reward for an accepted Hajj is that uh, all of your sins are forgiven. And it's like you've, you've just been given birth, you're a newborn baby. You've just come into this world and you have no sins. You, you get know, to you're... start over. So, yeah, so it's it's like a second lease on life. It's a second chance that, okay, God has forgiven me all of my sins and he says, you know, you'll be granted a place in heaven. And so if for me, especially now, the personal takeaway for me is that I have to make a more concerted effort to be a better person uh, to try to adhere to the dictates of the religion in a more uh, focused manner and not repeat the same mistakes that earlier in life. You know, whenever like you've been given a second chance, right? Like somebody who was extremely ill because of a bad diet or some habit, like maybe they used to smoke or something. And now they, you know, they had to go have some big surgeries. And after that, given a second chance of life. They don't go back to those same, right? So the biggest same thing with me is that I just went through this incredible experience and God has promised that he's forgiven my sins. 
So I should, I should be grateful for that, and I should do my best not to repeat those same mistakes. Faiza, what about for you? Uh, it was for me, I'm thinking like one of my teachers told me that it's like exiting the world when we went there. It's like you exit the world and you are in another world. And when you come back, when you were coming back, it was like a, in a tunnel and you're coming back to this world again full of so many things. And I have my kids and I'm not feeling well or something, you know, they're always something. But after Hajj, I think you become mindful. It's like another thing called taqwa, like knowing the God, consciousness of God, that He's there and He's watching you and He's there for you. And you keep thinking of God being there in your life. Like before that, maybe you just worry so much about the world. Now I'm just thinking that I left everything to God and now everything, God has to take care of me. So... I mean, that, that made me feel so good, you know. And we actually just have time for one more question today, and it's kind of a big one. Faison Syed, you've been a, a friend of this show. I know you've been on many times over the years. You're leaving St. Louis. Tell us where you're headed. So I've been the executive director of CARE Missouri now for eight years, and now I've just gotten a job to be the director at uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. So I'm very excited for the move. I'm going to miss a lot of people here. Some people in the community are still at shock, so they keep talking to me like, you should stay. I'm like, I already accepted the job, so it's, it's very hard. <laughs> can't change your mind yeah, now. can't change your mind now. <laughs> but I'm excited because Dallas and Texas is uh, the second largest state in the country. It's rapidly demographically changing. There's a large Muslim population there. And I'm hoping to go to that area to really empower the Muslim community there to not only impact the state of Texas, but through that possibly impact the greater country and greater society as well. So I'm really looking forward to that trip. I'm looking forward to this new opportunity and uh, I'll be back and forth. So nobody can get rid of me that easily, um, but I'm very excited for the trip. Faizan Syed, thank you for joining us one last time. Thank you again. And Shahab Mushtaq and Faiza Mushtaq, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.